partaking. I don't know about you, but for me, it's certainly a time to pause and look back on the year that's been. Um, I'm not one that often pauses, so you need to do that uh, for some of us more than others. You need to be more intentional about it. And I think I'm right to assess that this past year, 2019, has been a year full of um, quite a few challenges for quite a few people. I know every year is a challenge. Sometimes just life and living can be a challenge. But this year in particular, there's been a lot of challenges of hardship and perhaps turmoil and change. Um, I don't know where each one of you are at. I know where some of you are at, perhaps most of you in some ways. But it might be circumstances in a relationship that's changed. It might be with a friend or family member, uh, a relationship that's broken down, one that's become increasingly more distant. Maybe you're someone who's just had one disaster pile up on top of another. Whatever it might be, life, as we know, is tough and can be challenging and difficult. But this year in particular, and in particular the last few months, certainly in our region and now spread across this state and other states of Australia as well, it's been unusually tough, hasn't it? Um, The more articles I read online, if you're someone that engages with uh, public conversation, and Christmas is a great time to take a break from that too, but the more conversations are scanned through on social media or news that we hear on TV and read in the papers, you do get this reoccurring sense of utter hopelessness, of utter despair around the place. There's an awful lot of despair about. There's doom and gloom about the climate. There's increased polarisation between different sides and factions of of political spectrums and so on. There's unrest and angst amongst some of our well-meaning younger generations who are increasingly frustrated and want to see change and and demand for it. There's sadness and grief amongst some of our ageing and older generations who are suffering from a range of diseases that can frustrate, that can confuse, that can leave you feeling hopeless. And for those of us somewhere in between, uh, perhaps like myself, well, it can be a daily, weekly battle just to stay afloat and to keep on top of everything in life. There's a lot of hopelessness about the place. Does anyone else sense that too, or is it just me being a little melancholic? It's true, isn't it? Well, we are going through a pretty unique time in history. In fact, I think any new day is a unique time in history, because it's new, isn't it? Um, But there are many changes and there are extreme events happening around the place. And they're all the more made aware to us because of the way they're captured on film, they're discussed online, and people's opinions and perspectives seem to dominate much of the conversation and social connections today. And as we know on such a day as Christmas, that at the heart of Christmas is actually uh, a story about quite the opposite. A familiar historical story, a story that happened in real space and time, in a real geographical location, a story that's been witnessed and testified to, a story that's been told, written down and repeatedly um, re-spoken. And in many ways, um, knowing this actually helps us to recalibrate at these times of hopelessness. The birth of Jesus was written for us in a number of uh, different gospel records, particularly Matthew and Luke. And if we were to focus just on Luke for this morning... I want for us to pause for a moment and watch a little summary of the story. Uh, We could read it from the scriptures. This is a a little digital presentation 
and boys and girls, I encourage you to have a look at it too. It's kind of, it's kind of for just above some of the younger boys and girls, but I think you'll get it because you'll see some familiar characters in this story. It's a story that many of us will know well. And for those who do, you'll know it's most definitely a story full of hope, full of hope. Let's have a look at Luke's Gospel. The Gospel of Luke. Luke investigated many of the earliest eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus and then composed this account. And the story begins up in the hills of Jerusalem, the place where Israel's ancient prophets said that God himself would come one day to establish his kingdom over all the earth. In this city is the temple run by the priests. And one of them, named Zechariah, was working in the temple when he had a vision that freaks him out. An angel appears and says that he and his wife will have a son. What's this all about? Well, Zechariah and his wife, we're told, are very old. They've never been able to have children. And Luke's setting up a parallel here with Abraham and Sarah, the great ancestors of Israel, because they too were very old and could never have kids. Yet God gave them a son, Isaac, which is how the whole story of Israel began. And so Luke's implying here that God's about to do something that significant for this people once again. The angel tells Zechariah to name the son John. And then he says that the son's going to fulfill a promise of Israel's ancient prophets, that somebody would come one day to prepare Israel to meet their God when he arrived to rule in Jerusalem. Because right now, Jerusalem is ruled by the Romans. Yeah, specifically, it's governed by a man named Herod, who's a puppet king under the Roman Empire. And so the Jewish people wanted nothing more than to be free and govern themselves in their own land. So this is shocking news. Everything's gonna change. God's on his way, but how is he going to arrive? Well, to find out, Luke takes us out of Jerusalem and then up into a small town in the hills of an out-of-the-way region called Galilee. And there we find a young woman named Mariam, or we call her Mary. She was engaged to be married. And then an angel appears to Mary saying that she's going to have a son. She's supposed to name him Jesus, which in Hebrew means the Lord saves. And he will be a king like David who will rule over God's people forever. And then Mary asks, okay, well, how is this possible? Because I'm a virgin. And she's told that the same Holy Spirit that brought life and light out of darkness in Genesis chapter 1 is going to generate life inside her womb. God is about to bind himself to humanity through the conception and the birth of the Messiah. And so Mary goes from some backwoods, no-name girl to the future mother of the king? Exactly. In fact, she sings a song about how this reversal of her own social status points to a greater upheaval to come. Through her son, God's going to bring down rulers from their thrones and exalt the poor and the humble. He's going to turn the whole world order upside down. So when Mary was really pregnant, she and her fiance, Joseph, had to go down to Bethlehem. Yeah, there was a decree across the Roman Empire about new taxes, and so everybody had to go get registered in the town of their family line. There were so many visitors in Bethlehem, they can't find a guest room. And so the only place they can find is a spot where animals sleep. Now nearby were some shepherds with their flocks, and an angel appears, which of course freaks them out. But they're told to celebrate, because tonight in Bethlehem, a savior has been born. 
Yeah, they're told to go and find this baby, and they'll know that it's the Messiah because he's going to be wrapped up and laying in a grimy feeding trough. Yeah, which is pretty gross. Totally. And then these shepherds, who aren't very clean themselves, they go and find the newborn Jesus in this really dingy place, and their minds are blown. They go home wondering what on earth is about to happen. And this is all really strange. I mean, if God's really coming to save the world, this isn't how you would expect him to arrive. Born in an animal shelter to a teenage girl, celebrated by no-name shepherds. Exactly. I mean, everything is backwards in Luke's story, and that's the point. He is showing how God's kingdom was first revealed in these dirty places among the poor, because Jesus is here to bring salvation by turning our world order upside down. So quicker way to sort of go through Luke chapters 1 and 2. But I want for us this morning to focus on one particular verse that someone who later on was significantly impacted by Jesus as he grew up, became a man, began teaching, um, and that is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul writes a letter to churches uh, particularly in uh, Rome, and uh, the letter is called Romans, chapter 15, verse 3. Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to briefly share with you three things this morning of God's hope that can transform our lives and transform our worlds if we allow it. The first one is this, that the God of hope promises hope for the future. The God of hope promises hope for the future. One of the key tenets of Christianity, of our faith in Jesus Christ, is hope for the future. And as Jesus was born a baby, we know that uh, he would go up to be, grow up to become a man, that he was someone who uh, turned out that he was more than just a baby. He was a promised Messiah, a promised king sent into the world uh, for a very specific purpose. And that was to ultimately to lay down his life, to give his life away to Um, to pay the price for all the bad stuff, all the sin that all of us are culpable for in this world. And what we learn um, that in Jesus' death and then in his resurrection, and the two are quite linked, we need to always remember the end of Jesus' life just as much as we do the beginning, Um, we discover that a new life was offered through his resurrection, a new life in this world, a new life that could be lived by trusting Jesus as both Lord, that is King, ruler, and Saviour, the one who, for whom his namesake says he's come to save. And this is a new life that uh, turns the everyday normal of what we see and experience all around us completely upside down, which is turning hopelessness into hope. And we discover that far from bad news, that the unfortunate end of Jesus' life, his death, it wasn't anything like bad news or disastrous news because the death, death of Jesus on the cross was something that he endured, we read, because of the joy that was set before him. This is an example to us of how the God of hope is a God who gives us hope for the future. That's what sustained Jesus in his humanness, knowing full well what God was up to in his life, death, and resurrection. It was joy that enabled Jesus the courage to endure that act of self-sacrifice in death for our sakes and for the sake of God's world. And so in the death and resurrection of Jesus, God was breaking into our hopeless world with a great hope for a new world, a better world that would one day come, a world that was 
had begun in, 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 in the life, birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus, but one that would come fully at some given point in the future. So we press on in the meantime as God's people, as people of hope, we press on towards the goal to win the prize, Paul would say in another letter, for which God has called us heavenward. And so this promise of eternal peace in God's new creation is what keeps us pressing on in difficult times. I trust that's the case for you. If it's not, it can. And being here is a great start. It's what helps us to suffer well. Yes, you can suffer well. It's possible when living with hope that comes from God. And even in our suffering, as we endure tough times, we look forward to that time which is coming with great faith when God will complete the work that he's begun doing in us, just as he promised he would. Many of you will be familiar with Billy Graham. He's uh, recently gone uh, from our world and he's now in the presence of God. But he said this, that earth's troubles fade in the light of heaven's hope. What a great little phrase. Earth's troubles fade in the light of heaven's hope. Friends, today of all days is a day to remember the hope that God brings through the birth, the death, uh, the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's the God of hope who promises us hope for the future. Well, that's all good and very well, some of us might say, and we're sitting in, in a mess right now, perhaps, and you're thinking, well, that's great in the future, but what about now? What about the misery or the drudgery or the hardship and struggle of life in the here and present as we await um, for this glorious day when God's new world will come once and for all and be here fully. Well, the second point is that God of hope fills his people right here in the present with all joy and peace. That's what this wonderful little passage tells us, that he fills his people right now with all joy and peace. You see, God's promised hope for the future in his presence isn't just distant and far off. It's not some sort of trite pie in the sky thing we try and inspire ourselves with and kind of cross our fingers and just hope, small h, that it will happen. We don't just suffer the present with gritted teeth. We also don't just ignore the suffering that we go through as if somehow it's not happening to us. Um, God is actually very much present with us in the midst of it. And we read that from the Apostle Paul in Romans, uh, in that verse, Romans 15, verse 13, that, that God will fill us. That's what he's promised to do. He will fill us with all joy and peace in and for the present. Well, what is joy? There's a big difference between joy and being happy. Some of us might and often do confuse happiness with joy. We think that I've got to be happy to be joyful. You know, they are almost two completely different things. There's a big difference between them. Uh, we tend to think of a joyful person as a happy person, but happiness is actually fleeting and fickle. Boys and girls, this morning, I know some of you have already opened some presents, and how many are waiting for more presents to open after the service as soon as the guy at the front stops speaking? Yeah, some big kids went, went up some hands very quickly there as well. Uh, I shall move along. Um, but uh, I bet this morning, some of those presents, you know, they create great happiness, don't they? And in some ways, a deep sense of joy. But I can tell you pretty quickly, in the coming hours, maybe days or weeks, months, if mum and dad were, were really on, on, on the ball, um, that sort of happiness with the present kind of fades off. You know, like uh, I heard this morning, I could hear it burning up and down the street, a radio remote control car from one of our neighbours in the rain. I thought, wow, that's keen. Um, I hope it doesn't rust out before the end of the day. But, uh, you know, he's 
burning up and down there. We've got a number of drains along our street and it didn't happen, but I was thinking what could happen um, and how fleeting that happiness would be. But you see, joy's different. Joy's far deeper. Joy is something that, say for example, your radio remote control car flies into the gutter and that's the end of it. But you know what? You have something deeper that you can cling on to, that you can hold on to, that sustains you and you can still be a joyful person. Joy is something that can be known and expressed regardless of our circumstances. And people have joy uh, sometimes even in the most horrible of situations. I've seen it. I've seen some remarkable responses to some of the most horrific tragedies and sufferings that people go through. And you can only explain it as something that God has filled them with. This joy and this peace. Well, what about peace? Uh, What about peace? Because the certainty that we have about um, our future with God not only fills us with with joy, but it gives us peace, an abiding sense uh, that whatever circumstances we face, there's victory at the end of the day. God has won the day. Again, this is a word that gets mixed up a bit too when we see doves and things and we we think of peace and um, nice, serene scenes of the beach or perhaps the Manning Valley as it once was, um, nice and green and and lush. Um, You know, and it's it's all peaceful. But, but peace in the Bible, when the Bible speaks of peace, is this sort of Hebrew word shalom, which is just so much more fuller. It's just, it's this sense of contentment. It's this sense of completion, that something's finished and settled, and, and we just, we're just here. Our purpose and everything just lines up and makes sense. That's the kind of peace that is promised by the God of hope to fill us with. When our lives are filled with peace, when our lives are filled with faith and joy, people start to see a difference in us. They really do. They start to see a difference and it can lead them to want to ask questions about what that difference might be. Well, the third thing about the God of hope is that he enables us as his people to overflow with the hope that we have by the power of his Holy Spirit. He lives within us and that hope that he gives us can overflow into the lives of others. Just as our hope fills us with joy and peace, it should drive us towards love and service and sacrificial service towards those around us. I've been so encouraged over these past couple of months to to hear of different people in so many different ways, uh, many ways the news will never pick up on, who have just been faithfully serving and looking out for and supporting people uh, who have lost lots of material things uh, in this area. And I know that's going to continue and it's been great partnering with Samaritan's Purse. They've, they've left this week and they've got other disaster areas they need to go, and, uh, go into and support. Um, but that doesn't mean that that overflowing of God's hope in us needs to stop. We continue to bless others, to serve others and to help them in their time of need. Because we know that this future hope of God's new creation, which began with Jesus, isn't about some disembodied spirit life but rather it's a renewal of his creation it really is it's a renewal of it it's a renewal of the very world in which we now live that's what it means when the bible speaks of in christ god bringing about a new creation and new heavens and new earth and what better place to turn than in the last book of the bible if we're going to focus on hope this morning to see that wonderful vision that was given to another follower of jesus the apostle john Revelation 21 verses 1 to 5, Then I saw, he says, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and there was no longer any sea. The sea in Bible times was just completely unknown. It was representative of chaos and something that could threaten life on earth at any time. There would be no more of that. I saw the holy city, says John, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. What an amazing vision that John was blessed with and that he's written down and passed on to us still to this day. I want to say this morning that if we take that picture of God's new creation, that picture of heaven described here in the Bible, uh, we will be completely compelled to not only declare but to demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the hope that God has given us. Our hope will overflow in the form of many blessings to those we seek to reach with the good news. So my encouragement to us today on this Christmas day is to let the God of hope fill you with his joy and peace, to have that hope overflow in your lives this Christmas. And I know some of us are waiting to get together to celebrate over food and gatherings with family and friends and it's a wonderful time and that's a, a small taste of God's new creation when we gather in friendship and in love and in fellowship together around food. We celebrate together the beginning of this grand story of hope for the future as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Well, this Christmas we have the opportunity uh, to do that in a tangible way and as I said earlier, we, we like to uh, raise funds and um, encourage or give us the opportunity to support those in other parts of the world who, um, by our standards, uh, live way poorer than we do. And uh, there's an opportunity to do that. And again, um, some flies are at the back there, some, uh, some little leaflets that give you the opportunity um, uh, to give if you'd like to or online. For those of us that came in this morning, you may be sitting on it. If you were quick enough and before you sat down, um, check privately another time when you stand up for the last song. But um, these are on your seat. And we just encourage you to take them home. We do this every year, and it's great. Really good to sit down with the kids too. And it's just a simple opportunity on the back. My prayer of hope. What's your prayer of hope in this world? Whether it be in our immediate circumstances here, whether it be for some family situation or some friend situation, whether it be for others uh, that we know who are doing it uh, particularly tough and difficult. What is our prayer of hope? Write it down, and you can attach it to your Christmas tree. And uh, it's something... Um, to begin that process of celebrating the hope that the Lord has put into our hearts. Let's pray together. Father God, in a world where worry and not peace prevails, we pray that you would stir up in us the good news of Jesus Christ. This Christmas, make it particularly real in our hearts. For those of us who are familiar with the story, may it be renewed. For those of us who perhaps haven't engaged with it fully, may for the first time we do so in a new way. Never have we needed your joy and peace more than now. And so we thank you this morning for the gift of Jesus, our Emmanuel, the Word made flesh, God up close and personal. We pray for your forgiveness for the times that we forget 
for the 364 other days of this year, for the times that we forget that your love never changes, that it never fades and that you will never abandon the purpose for which you came, to save us from our sin, to give us eternal life with you and the joy of relationship with the Holy God. Your birth and your death, Lord Jesus, has sealed God's promise to us forever. And we are grateful and thankful in Jesus' name. Amen.